Hi, and welcome to Measure the Metric, a podcast about engineering monuments, the people who built them, and the people who use them. My name is Vivian Yu. My name is John Julius. I'm a civil engineer. And I'm married to a civil engineer. Every episode, we're going to pick one engineering monument. Maybe it's ancient, or maybe it's brand spanking new. We're going to tell you all sorts of stuff about it. You're going to learn, and you're going to laugh, and you're going to live, and you're going to love. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> recording a little bit late in the night, so things are about to get loopy. <laughs> it's, it's not so much that it's late. It's, I woke up at like 3.30 in the morning and couldn't get back to sleep, and I don't know why. So This is going to be a fun episode, folks. All that I know about this episode. So Vivian was researching over the past couple of days and she would just be like, no, what? <laughs> I could just hear it from the other room. So this is one of those episodes that either is going to be like really good or else it's going to offer insight into the, the brain of Vivian. <laughs> just remember if she's describing like, and John, it was a straight line. <laughs> like, so what? If, if that's what happens, just know that Vivian was chuffed when oh she was goodness. researching this episode. Well, let's get into it. <laughs> so today we're talking about Norway's highways, their tunnels specifically, but not exclusively. Okay. So I've been wanting to do another roads episode for quite a while. The last one we did was the Via Appia. Yeah, that was quite a while ago, actually. Yeah, season one stuff. Yeah. So I, I kind of had a number of thoughts. I thought I was going to maybe do like the Autobahn in Germany. That would have been an interesting one. Or the interstate system in the States. Yeah. But I kind of got really interested in the Norwegian highways after a YouTube video that was sent to me. So some of you guys might know, but my original training was as a highway engineer. And I sometimes still get sent these weird videos of things that have been built. So okay. I was sent a video of a tunnel that led to a roundabout that was still in the tunnel. And then one leg that exited the roundabout exited onto a giant suspension bridge. So it went from tunnel in the mountain, roundabout, tunnel, suspension bridge back in underground roundabout. Yeah. And it was just the craziest thing. Like you come into this underground roundabout and it looks like a like a car disco. Which I feel like now that I've said it out loud should be a thing. Car disco. Speaking of, they are coming back. There's so in the uh, late 90s there were some experiments of like having, you know, concerts where everyone would get a cassette. It was basically an art installation. And then now, because of COVID, we're trying to find ways to socially distance. So like drive-through theaters, drive-in theaters are coming back in a big way. And there's been talk of doing like music festivals where you just drive in and it broadcasts to you. It's stuff like that. It's, it's cool stuff. Right. So these Norwegian tunnels, that's what it looks like. And it's just bonkers. Okay. So let me give you a few kind of like numbers. I know, John, let's just get the numbers over with. Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's get these super exciting numbers. There are over 900 road tunnels in Norway. Okay. Totaling over 750 kilometers of roads. Now, Norway being a kind of a long, skinny country. Yeah, it, it, Norway is really long north-south, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. And it's fairly low density, right? It, it's very spread out, basically. Yeah. And the geography doesn't lend itself to a lot of straight lines. So contrary to what you said earlier, we're not actually going to talk about a lot of straight lines here. Uh. So Norway has the longest road tunnel in the world. Okay. The Lerdal Tunnel. Yeah. And it's 24 and a half kilometers long. Okay. That is actually a long ways to go just underground. That's right. It's two lanes, so one one lane each way. 
And it was the final link of the main highway connecting Oslo to Bergen, who are, that's, I mean, those are the two only cities I can even recognize in Norway. So yeah, same, same here. Also, I just, I just want to point out, like, I don't even know what Norwegian, like what the language sounds like. Like, I don't even know how to guess. Oh yeah. I'm going to butcher all of these words. Sorry. So just like if, if you have, you know, a, a little bit of knowledge of of the Norwegian language, we apologize. Yeah, and and not for trying, not for lack of trying. I definitely tried to look up how to pronounce some of these things, and Google was not very helpful. Yeah. Anyway, so the Laredal Tunnel. It was initiated in 1975, so that's when they started thinking about it. I suppose. Confirmed in 1992. Construction started in 1995, and it was open in 2000. Yeah, so they started thinking about it, and 20 years later... They did something about it, yeah. But it was the final link of the highway between Oslo and Bergen without needing ferry connection. Okay. A lot of the rural highways in Norway do require ferry connections. Yeah. Well, it's a long country with a lot of lakes and hills. It's a lot of fjords, yeah. Yes. It cost one point. 8 billion Norwegian crowns, okay. which translates to 158 million Canadian dollars. Okay. I converted everything to Canadian. Yeah, so we checked our analytics and most of our listeners are in Canada. So. Yeah. And for our Australian listeners, it's almost yeah, close. That's so, true. That's true. Basically par. If you are listening to this from the States, you know, just subtract about 30% our dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it costs 1.08 billion Norwegian crowns, 158 million Canadian dollars. Do you want to wager a guess, John, how many vehicles travels it a day? Let me give you a, a bit of context, okay? Okay. The Golden Gate Bridge mm-hmm. carries 112,000 vehicles a day. Okay. Golden Gate. Now, I don't know the population of Norway. You think that would help? Let me, let, I can No, it quickly... doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm going to guess. So if, if 100,000. 5.4 million population of Norway. Okay. So, I mean, that is, I think, a significantly smaller population than just the Bay Area, California, and significantly higher density. So he's 100,000 100, roughly on the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm going to guess that there's 5,000 people driving this road a day. 2000. 2000. Yeah. 2050 as of 2019. Okay. So $158 million for a tunnel that services 2,050 people or vehicles a day. Yes. Okay. This is going to be a recurring trend. Yeah. Norway also contains the Valavik Tunnel, which is the tunnel roundabout that I talk about. Yeah. And it opens up into the Hardinger Bridge which is a suspension bridge across the fjords that goes into the next roundabout that's in a tunnel. The bridge was constructed in 2009, okay. opened in 2013. It cost 2.3 billion Norwegian crowns, so double what I just said. Yeah. There's one lane each way at 80 kilometers an hour, okay. okay? And a separate lane for pedestrians and cyclists. Like, I cannot stress <laughs> enough how out of the way this bridge is in the middle of nowhere, and the only way of getting to it is from a tunnel highway. So I have no idea what cyclist is bonkers enough to do this, but Scandinavians, right? Like, yeah, I we we they're wild about their bikes. So maybe this is me being completely skeptical, but I don't know who's riding it. Regardless, daily traffic is 2,000 vehicles. Cool. Um, So 2,000, but now, I mean, we are talking about a a pretty serious, like, you know, social democracy and... Sure. Like, that's that's kind of just how they roll. I guess so. This is just going to be me talking about cool roads that Norway has built and tunnels that they've built and then cool roads and tunnels that they're going to build. So... If that doesn't sound like your kind of episode, I'm sorry, but I'm very excited about this. Yeah. 
hopefully some of that enthusiasm is, is going to rub off on the listeners because I have no idea about roads. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. Okay, wait, like continue. So the next one I want to talk about is the RIFAS. It is a subsea tunnel system okay. in Rogaland County. It runs between the city of Stravanger and another county. It didn't specify which. <sighs> it runs under a large fjord and is the longest undersea road tunnel in the world. Oh. It is 14 kilometers long. Yeah. Being underwater. Pretty uh, terrifying. Okay. Construction began in 2013. Yeah. And it was completely finished and opened in February 2020. Oh, so this is like a recent thing. Right before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. It costs 5.2 billion Norwegian crowns. And I don't have any numbers of how many people travel it in a day, but probably about 2,000. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last one I really want to highlight, this is considered the most dangerous road in Europe. Nice. It's called the Trostigen or Trostigen. Yeah. It's or translated into the Troll's Ladder. Oh, I love it. It's a switchback mountain road. It goes up the side of a mountain with sharp bends yeah. that turns back on itself. 11 hairpin turns at 10% incline. Ooh. It okay. is crazy narrow. It basically is a wide one lane for two-way traffic. <laughs> Large vehicles are prohibited from driving on it, and it is closed during the late autumn and winter seasons. Of course. At this point, it's largely a tourist attraction. And I spent just a lot of time like watching YouTube videos of people driving these roads. So this one is truly bonkers, but also beautiful. Like you drive up the side of a mountain and then you look back and it's just like the fjords. Yeah. See, see, that's the thing. Like officially, I hate driving. And I'll tell anyone who listens, I'm just like, oh, I hate driving. It's the worst. I don't want to ever own a car. I am pretty curmudgeonly about it when I have to drive. However, you get me out of the city and on a good road, like I love. So I saw a little bit of the Trolls Ladder and I was like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like John loves driving mountain roads because we grew up in Alberta and he used to drive back and forth through BC every bit. year. Right. And so like I can drive in the city. No problem. Does not intimidate me. But get me in the mountains and I will go five kilometers an hour. Yeah, it's pretty Whereas good. John will drive like 60 through the mountains and I'm just no. holding on to the oh shit handles. That, so so this, is, this, has been, this has been an ongoing thing. Vivian's like, John, you're going like 60 kilometers an hour. And I'm like, Vivian, it's a digital speedometer. You can see that I'm going 32. Oh, it was so I, fast. no. It was not. It felt fast because we were going around a corner, but I was going 32 kilometers an hour and Vivian's just like, you're going too fast. Anyhow. Anyway, so Norway, crazy roads. How did we get here? All right. It's going to be a very short history. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Norway's highways, historically very low population density. It's got a weird shape with a weirder coastline with an even weirder geography. Yeah. And it's very far north. It's very far north. That's the name. It's susceptible to poor weather. Yeah. And it's difficult to maintain. So I think what people don't understand is that building roads through rural areas, A, it's difficult to build. And B, it's even more difficult to maintain, especially when you're going through mountain passes and you've got risk of landslides, you've got risk of ice and snow and wet weather. It can just be very dangerous. And you can imagine that, yes, we might have a lot of personal vehicles driving through on intercity highways, but a lot of it is actually commercial transport. So we're talking about freight. Right. And when we design roads, we design for the, the worst vehicles, basically, the largest vehicles with the least amount of flexibility or, or reaction time. Mm -hmm. So designing for roads 
in that kind of condition can be very difficult. Right. Okay. So in Norway, a lot of the highways are still connected by ferry crossings. They're slow, for one, but they're also susceptible to bad weather. Right. Because you don't want to get on a boat when it's... When it's super windy Mm -hmm. and it's bad conditions on the water. Yep. And they're finding that a lot of the rural areas are dramatically decreasing in population because of poor transportation connections. So in 2009, Norway was ranked one of the worst countries in terms of quality of roads. They were behind countries such as Portugal, which is also very mountainous. Yeah. Croatia, very mountainous. Greece. They were ranked behind Greece. Yes. The famously bankrupt Greece. Yes. Wow. They were also ranked behind Botswana. (laughs) Well... Not that I know anything about Botswana. Nothing. It just sounds a little bit like it doesn't hold because Norway being historically, in recent history at least, a very stable, very economically driven, resource-rich country. And you would expect their infrastructure to be miles ahead of these other countries that are having not as stable of an economy. Interesting. I will just say, and I hate to, I hate to go on like the, you know, the whole PC thing here, but, but attributing Africa with, you know, historically poor infrastructure is something that is a habit that I think that we need to break because there is fantastic investment going on. And a lot of that poor infrastructure was due to Western interference. Agreed. Yeah. Anyhow, PC moment done. (laughs) That's, that's the end of it. But yes, in comparison with Portugal and Croatia, it definitely lags behind. And even if we were to take into account similar countries with climate and similar geography, like Sweden and Switzerland, Norway was way behind. Hmm. It had a history of underinvesting in roadway infrastructure and really not prioritizing the right type of roadway infrastructure, despite being a very major oil exporter with a huge economy as a result of that, their roads were funded in such a way that the policies favored local politicians. Oh, yes. The hallmark of social democracy. That's right. And so smaller states or rural areas sometimes had more influence in politics than they should have, or because politicians would sometimes use infrastructure projects for swing votes districts. Mm -hmm. So they can always count on the major cities to vote a very specific way. But the rural areas could be persuaded. And as a result, you get billions of Norwegian crowns being invested in areas where you wouldn't see that much traffic. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, pretty, pretty good. It is kind of nice hearing Scandinavia always upheld as <laughs> as this like model model society in so many ways, and it's just like okay, actually they've got they they play the same games that we do, right? So since then they've definitely tried to remediate some of that and and catch up to their infrastructure spending and and be a little bit smarter in how they distribute their wealth. Yeah. One of the main highways in Norway is the E39. It runs along the west coast of the country. So we'll post a map of where this is. But if you can imagine Norway being that far western part of that northern Scandinavia area. So it's very jagged coastline with a number of fjords. The E39 runs along that coast. Ooh, that would be a nice drive. It connects Christiansen in the south to Trondheim in the north. Hmm. Oslo and Bergen are somewhere in between there. (laughs) So it was confirmed in 2017 that they would try to improve this highway. So right now, this highway includes a number of ferry connections. It is very difficult to drive through and it takes a long time. It also includes a ferry connection to Denmark which is kind of fun, I suppose. But basically, the whole highway is 1,100 kilometers long. Okay. But it takes 21 hours to drive. 
<laughs> that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. So 1100, right? Imagine that should take like 12 hours. Tops. 14, maybe if it, you're it, yeah. driving it like, yeah, 80, I guess right? 80, 80 kilometers an hour. Yeah. So Make some stops. Regardless, 21 hours sucks. And it's because there are seven ferry crossings along this road. <laughs> oh, man. So in 2017, the government approved a new scheme to spend 340 billion Norwegian crowns. That's 50 billion Canadian dollars. Yeah. To link this highway with roadways and tunnels and bridges to get rid of all of the ferry connections. Very huge endeavor. Yeah. Their aim is to cut down the travel time by half. Good. The route itself would only be reduced by 50 kilometers. So 1,100 kilometers down by 50. Yeah. But the time would be reduced by half. And yeah. it is going to be accomplished with a series of mega projects. So the first one that I want to talk about is the Rogfast. It is a ferry replacement project. It is going to be the longest subsea road tunnel in the world. So even longer than the Ryfast that I talked about before, it's going to be 26.7 kilometers long, right? So even at full speed, that is about 20 minutes of driving, right? At 80. It's also going to be the deepest subsea road tunnel. It's going to be 392 meters below sea level. Nope. <laughs> that is... Uh... Not to my liking. <laughs> I was trying to explain this to John or like kind of tell him about these cool underground or underwater tunnels. And John was like, I would never drive that. Nope, not doing it. it no, I, it's, <laughs> it's not a matter of like, I would never, I would never drive it. It's just like, why? I don't know. I never went on the channel. I don't go underwater. I don't go underwater. Like, That's true. John does not go underwater. If I can avoid it, I just, oh, that's what boats are for. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But that's what they have right now. Build a bridge. <laughs> so this undersea tunnel is supposed to replace the ferry service, and it will reduce the travel time by 40 minutes. Okay, 40 minutes. I mean... And that's not counting for having to wait for the ferry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The idea is it's also going to allow for expansion in the housing and labor markets in the region. So Norway is really trying to expand and diversify using the proceeds from their oil exports mm -hmm. to initiate um, industries and economies in other sectors, which... Well, huh, I don't know. Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, well, let's not get into that. <laughs> John and I are originally from Alberta, and we have opinions. Anyway, the Rogue Fast is not just going to be a straight-shot subsea tunnel. It is including a junction or an interchange with an offshoot into an island municipality of Kvitsvosoy. Kvitsvosoy? Kvitsvosoy? Yes. Yeah. So basically, it's going to have an interchange, but under the sea. And this interchange will resemble something like a diamond interchange, if you can picture that. A diamond interchange being a very typical interchange configuration where you have a highway and a road crossing, there's ramps, exit ramps on either side, and usually the ramp will connect to a intersection. And then at those intersections, after you've gone past, so you come off the off-ramp, and then you come to an intersection, and then you can turn left or right, and it usually takes you over a bridge. Sure. Right? Yeah. So very common diamond interchange. But this will all be underwater, and it'll also have two roundabout instead of two intersections because we're in Scandinavia and what the heck is an intersection? Yeah, I, I do like roundabouts. Right. So this undersea interchange is going to then lead to the two roundabouts that will then have an exit that will include a spiral that's 
3.7 kilometers around up to the surface level, because remember, this is the deepest subsea tunnel in the world. Yeah, your ears are going to pop. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment. Your ears are going to pop. Your ears are going to pop like mad. Like crazy. You drive up, you drive up away from sea level and it's just like, oh, my ears pop. That's crazy. No, you're going under the water. It's so much more pressure difference. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> get, get ready for that. Ears are <laughs> popping all the time. I think that's super cool. So I also have an image that will show this undersea interchange. It's also going to include multiple ventilation shafts. Yeah, great. You know where you're getting? You open up a ventilation shaft underwater, you're getting water. <laughs> so let's let's understand also why we need ventilation shafts, right? Obviously, having cars and exhaust underwater, you're going to need ventilation shafts. You're going to need even more ventilation shafts as you have these interchanges where you're going to have braking and accelerating because your cars have to right? Yeah. You have to decelerate to get onto the off-ramp. You got to decelerate to go into the roundabout, accelerate back in. You're going to have to accelerate to come into that spiral and back up to surface level. So there's just going to be a lot of needs for fire and life safety systems, uh -huh. mechanical electrical systems, ventilation. Yeah. There's also a lot of talk about how do we keep this secure in terms of protecting it against terrorist attacks. So there's a lot of material testing okay. of different types of concrete that under explosive impact may crack, but either can self-seal or hold its own shape long enough to allow people to evacuate. So very interesting material science going on here. Yep. All right. And I, John, I, I'm surprised you didn't ask me how does self-sealing concrete work? I'm still a little bit hung up on just the, anyhow, how does self-sealing concrete work? So I don't know specifically, but what we can do currently with waterproofing concrete is using an additive that's a crystal okay. of some sort. And upon impact with water, it'll actually expand. So there will be additives in the concrete. Yeah. Kind of like a sponge. And it'll expand within the concrete if it touches water. Interesting. And so as concrete would crack and water comes in, it'll actually have its own type of material within the concrete mixture that will seal itself. Well, there you go. That is actually pretty cool. It's like those foam things that you spray into your tire and then it expands and it blocks off the... Yeah, I like it. Right? Pretty clever. Pretty clever. Yeah, I should finish that thought. It blocks off the leak long enough for you to get to, to where you're going so that you can change your tire. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So this giant, longest, deepest, most bananas subsea tunnel. Uh-huh. You want to wager a guess on how many vehicles it's going to carry? <laughs> I'm going to guess that this tunnel is going to have a certain number of people minus the intelligent people who will only drive it if they absolutely have to. <laughs> so I'm going to guess it's going to serve, they're estimating it'll serve 1,500 people a day. So I read that the capacity that it's designed for or the capacity is expected is 13,000 vehicles a year, which breaks down to 35 vehicles a day. <sighs> <laughs> so John, you could be one of the 35. I could. I certainly could. Yeah, I, I don't know. Though. I mean, it does... All of that said, I do think that it's nice to see a country investing in infrastructure, even knowing that it's only going to help a certain number of people because the people that this helps, it's going to help them a lot, presumably. Yeah, I mean, they're really hedging their bets for the future as well, right? They're hoping that these regions will expand. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's interesting. It's definitely something to look for. So this is the first of the major projects 
for the expansion of the E39. It will be completed around 2025, 2026. Okay. Things have been a little bit slow this year for obvious reasons. Yes. But yes, that's the tentative plan. There are still a number of other fjord crossings and sea crossings that are going to need some really innovative engineering. So I want to talk about some of the really cool types of bridges and tunnels that have been proposed. Okay. Well, okay, let's get the easy stuff over with. Really long-ass suspension bridge. Yeah, so obviously. We, yeah, we know what suspension bridges are. They're supported by towers with a cable. Yep. And then you hang the segments of the road from that cable. Okay. Done. So that's a very typical construction. Yeah. Often, in some of these fjord situations, it may not be plausible or feasible to have a suspension bridge. That might be because it's just too wide. Yep. And if you need a pillar or a support in the middle, it might be too difficult to construct anything if the fjord is also too deep. Yep. It could be really difficult to ship a ton of material to site for something so big when it's so rural and difficult to access. Okay. You're also running into like a lot of labor issues, right? Like major infrastructure takes a lot of people. Yeah. And trying to get that many workers and specialized equipment out to such a remote area could be very costly. That is true. So what would be more lightweight than a traditional bridge? A floating bridge. All right. How do you make a floating bridge? So the bridge is anchored on both ends to the shore. Uh-huh. Right? So you got both points being secured okay. to certain points. Secured to a certain extent. Then the, it would have segments in between uh-huh. that are supported not by traditional abutments or anything. It's not supported by anything that's anchored to the ground, but floating on water. Or it might be supported by something that's floating on water. Yes. It's not unheard of. Okay. So the world's longest floating bridge right now is actually in Seattle or right outside of Seattle. Okay. In Washington State. And it spans. Lake Washington. Yeah. And the, and I looked a little bit into why they did this. So it had really poor soil conditions in the water. So even if they were to put a foundation into the water to support a traditional bridge, they would have to dig it way down. They would need to excavate a ton of that, that poor soil out. If you remember our episode on the Brooklyn Bridge, having to build cofferdams, having to yeah, it's time-consuming. It's time-consuming, it's labor-intensive, it's incredibly intrusive on a otherwise pristine natural area. Yeah. There's also, also some people that think that big, heavy suspension bridges are ugly. Okay. It, it definitely has a, it, it's a very specific style. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're in Washington, a place that's known for its kind of natural landscapes and beauty, you might not want such a big, heavy infrastructure in the way of your view. Yeah. So they used pontoons, okay? Okay. Being essentially giant boxes of air. Yeah. And they're made of a specialized concrete. So, so you might be wondering why concrete floats, but it really has a lot to do with the forces of buoyancy. You build a giant box out of concrete, but it's filled with air, it will not sink. Yeah. Right? No, that, that, that's totally understandable. All that you have to do is make it less dense than the water. That's right. So. Exactly. And so the pontoons are each secured to an anchor. And that anchor is sunk into that soft ground. Yeah. So it will just, it will just drop and then sink into that soft soil without needing to be anchored to bedrock. It is also fixed to a steel cable uh-huh. that lies at the bottom. Yeah. And so horizontally, it would move. Okay. The, this whole thing to me is just like, okay, I, I believe that 
someone someone who knows better than me tells me that this is going to work, that's fine. I I trust in the experts, but good lord, does this ever sound suspect? It's just like red flag, red flag, red flag. Not a box. It's made of concrete, but it's full of air. It's fine. No. These pontoons are basically supporting the segments of the bridge like they would a regular foundation. Yeah. They're just floating on water. Mm -hmm. And they're fixed in their point of where they float. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And this system of securing it to an anchor, the anchor being connected to a steel cable at the bottom of the water, it's so robust that it keeps the bridge from moving at all in waves even up to 140 kilometers per hour winds. Okay. Pretty secure. I'll give it that. Right? So I'm not sure. So road bridges can take a certain amount of flex, being that roads can flex a little. Railway bridges tend to be much more rigid because rail requires that rigidity, right? So I don't know that floating bridges and tunnels would ever really... um, And maybe they have already. I just haven't looked into it. But like with a road, you can have some amount of deflection that's allowable. Mm -hmm. So that's a floating bridge. And that's one of the options for crossing these giant fjords. Cool. But with bridges, now keep in mind that floating bridges don't tend to be very tall, right? Um, Why why is that? It, It requires a certain amount of rigidity. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. You have something floating on the water, you build it up too tall, and now you have to worry about it wobbling. That's right. Exactly. So if it's not tall enough, then you can't have boat passage. Right. Okay. So that would be problematic. So then do you start having these bridges that are floating and also mechanically can pivot or raise to allow for boat passage? Pricey. Pricey, technically difficult, complicated, or we can look at submerged tunnels. Now, Vivian showed me a, a screenshot of this. This is the worst one. Like for for all of my like skepticism and like low level anxiety that I've been expressing throughout this episode, this is the worst thing that I have seen in my life as far as like roads go. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so floating subsea tunnels. There are two ways to do this. Basically, you want to start by having two tunnels, one for each way. Yes. Okay? And they are going to be tethered to each other with high-strength cables. So they should basically be a pair that should never separate from each other, nor should they ever crash into each other. Yeah. Because they're separated, right? So there's a rigid kind of connection between the two all along the way. The question now is, how do you secure this tunnel in its space under the water. Mm. Two ways you can do this. You can tether it to the seabed using high-strength cables the way that the pontoons that I've just described are. So you would have the anchor and it would be connected to the seafloor. Yeah. And that, if you calculate the buoyancy of your tunnels correctly, then you can just tether it to the bottom. Yes? Yeah. The other is to use floating underwater tunnels where you would anchor them to pontoons above instead. Yeah, yeah. And they would be suspended from the top. And then you would have to calculate the density of the tunnels to basically sink, counteracted by the upward pull of the pontoons. Yep. So there are two methods of doing this. And the benefit of this, like I said, is to allow for boat passage, right? Because decreasing or dropping the tunnel levels is significantly less challenging Mm -hmm. than increasing the height on a bridge for a floating bridge. However, it is more expensive than a suspension bridge. Yeah. Has this ever been done before? No, this would be the first suspended tunnel. The, the the first underwater suspension tunnel bridge thing. And it's just going to be like one of those things where it's just like, yep, we ticked all the boxes. This is going to work perfectly. 
And then someone goes and it is just, okay, well, it's uh, under the water. What about sharks? Oh, sharks. I forgot about sharks. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just see like a group of engineers just like, oh, how did we forget about sharks? <laughs> I just, it, it's so, it, it's an amazing world, but. Sometimes I, I just think that maybe we've gone too far. <laughs> oh, John. Okay, so <laughs> there's something we do in engineering. We do a lot of checks and balances. So we'll do safety checks. We'll have a safety manager in a major project doing safety checks. We'll have someone doing compliance check. We'll have someone doing insurance, obviously, and a lawyer and et cetera. And what, in the last stage of design, one of the the consultants that we often have is also a human factors specialist who is, I feel like John, you would be a, a such a perfect human factors specialist because all they do is come in and be like, okay, but have you thought about this? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just a very layman's, what would the dumbest end user okay. do with this? Yeah. And how do we protect that dumbest end user. Okay. <laughs> and in this case, our dumbest end user is somehow a shark. So Oh, sharks are sharks are dorks, but they're not dumb. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure someone on the human factors or the sharks factors team of that engineering consortium will have thought of how to prevent sharks from then running into our tunnels. Mm-hmm. Coordinated attacks. Coordinated. Coordinated attack on the tunnels. It's anyhow. Are you not more worried about whales? Like, I feel like it's much more likely that a whale would come through the fjords and like just crash into the tunnel. I don't know where animals live. I, it, it's. Okay. I mean, it, it, fair, fair. Yeah. These I, are fair concerns. And I really hope someone's thinking about this. So you're not going to like this last one. I, you know what? It's, it's fine. I, I understand. So it's a combination hybrid floating bridge slash floating tunnel. The idea being that you would have a floating bridge section and then where you would want ship passage to happen in the center, you would then drop down into a floating tunnel section to allow for that passage of ships and boats. And then you would come back up out the other side into a floating bridge to continue through the rest of the fjord crossing. Okay, so actually, I am going to react to this differently than you might expect. Because I love driving on hills, I love driving on bridges, and now you're giving me hills and bridges. <laughs> you're giving me bridges with hills. It's great. Okay. Okay, but the whole thing is going to be this like wobbly, floating. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well. Hills, hills and bridges, it, no. All right, so John's okay with underwater challenges as long as you turn it into a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. I'm I'm just saying that at least this is something like compelling. It's just like, oh, I'm just driving along on a normal road. Oh, I have to go underwater now. Right. Whereas this is just like, all right, I'm on a cool bridge. What is happening? I'm going under it's anyhow. So those are some of the innovations that I've found so far that yeah. engineers have proposed. And I think we just need to keep an eye on how this develops because they're just building some of the coolest tunnels and roads and bridges in Norway. Okay. And it, do you remember like maybe a decade or so ago when Dubai had way too much money from oil exports and they were just like, here, engineers, build things. And then we got a bunch of really cool things built. I think I think that's like Norway's next move is just like oil money. Everyone go out and build cool things. Yeah. Let's let's actually do something with this money instead of just cutting taxes. For the richest people in the province. Anyhow, <laughs> not going to get into it. So I will say that development of their other resources and industries is a major priority of theirs, it appears. So it would seem. What may surprise you is that Norway has the largest fleet of plug-in vehicles, electric vehicles, in the world per capita. That doesn't surprise me because there has been, like for basically our entire adult life, there has been a push away from oil. And 
we still need oil in our society. Like, like as a, as a species, we have not actually progressed past oil, but there's a large recognition that we could be doing things better. And so, you know, to, to say, okay, we have this need now, but let's work on lessening this need. I think it seems like a pretty prudent it does. And I think it indicates to me that they are serious about diversifying and moving off of their dependency on oil, especially their economic dependency on oil. So just some quick numbers. I'm going to just fast track these numbers. All right. Okay. In 2016, uh-huh. 29% of their market was electric. Okay. Pretty good. For vehicles. 2017, 39. Yeah. 2018, 49. Wow. 2019, 56. 56% of their vehicle market is electric. Mm-hmm. And in 2018, the Nissan Leaf was Norway's best-selling new passenger car. Pretty good. But keep this in mind. The average Norwegian spends 70 minutes a day traveling in a car. 70 minutes a day. Do you happen to have a comparison on... Like, what is it? So I used to spend about five times that a day traveling to and from, just traveling to and from work when I was driving to work. I don't have a a comparison right now with Toronto, but I think it it just really highlights how many people do drive in Norway and how much time they spend commuting. Mm -hmm. And some in the rural areas have talked about how they would spend three hours commuting each way because it takes a 40-minute ferry ride and often more than one ferry ride per trip. Yeah. And so it makes sense for them to really rely on electric vehicles and to be converting. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a really exciting set of projects that are happening. This is not one engineering monument, but I think it's a real testament to engineering, really, what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. I mean, and... I don't know, I guess I was a bit of a naysayer this episode, but I do recognize that these are some very cool, like innovative. And given that a decade ago, they recognized that they were underspending in infrastructure and they were underdeveloped compared to other countries of similar economic wealth Mm -hmm. and power. And they have tried to caught up in the last 10 years, given what we know about North America and how our infrastructure is failing, how we've completely underspent in our maintenance and development and expansion of infrastructure. It's not impossible, guys. Mm-hmm. It's not impossible. That's right. Just needs a little bit of willpower and a little bit of imagination and a whole lot of money. Yeah, and and but I think also like a widespread belief that infrastructure is worth supporting. Yes. Right? And and I think that that's what, I don't know, I, I don't necessarily see a lot of that in, in North America. I think there's just a lot of debate on where infrastructure is needed. And that's yeah. always the age-old debate. If we cannot agree on what to build, mm-hmm. then we never get started. Yeah. So, unfortunate circumstances. But yeah, John, I hope that was interesting. To our listeners, I have a number of pictures and I've got linked to the YouTube videos that I've been watching. When I was Googling, one of them had the title, Most Boring Videos, Norway's Roads. And so then I don't really know what that says about me spending so much time watching them because I found them fascinating. No, but okay, wait, uh, now I'm going to plug, it's called Slow TV. And it is, it's 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 a subgenre, like or it's it's a niche genre, right? But it is, and so someone will just like take a dash cam and they'll go and they'll drive, or else they'll put something on like a train driving through a rural countryside, or else they'll just have like a video of someone hand someone's hands knitting a scarf. It's 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 a whole thing. So if you see something like most boring video and it's six hours long, it is designed for you to relax. Yeah, I didn't watch a six hour long video, but I bet you somewhere there's a 21 hour long video of someone driving through the E39. Yeah, and it's especially big in, I mean, northern countries. Like there's one, 
of Iceland. Iceland is a small-ish volcanic island, and there's a famous highway that just goes around the outside of it. And yeah, so somebody just like soundtracked this thing. It was a dash cam drive, and I watched part of it. I, I, I don't have a very good attention span. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I encourage you, if you're ever just like having a really bad day, just like search search just like relaxing drive or something and work on a jigsaw puzzle or a crossword. <laughs> and if you've driven through some of these tunnels or bridges, or maybe you've driven through the troll's ladder, let us know because I would love to know what the experience is like. John and I have done some mad road trips in some weird places. Yeah. And I think we've put this on the list now, haven't we? Oh, uh, yeah. So, so Norway has been on my list for a long time. And well, it's certainly on mine now. Yeah. So reach out to our social media. We are at Measure to Metric on Instagram, at Measure to Metric on Facebook, and we are MeasureToMetric.com. Yep. You can also leave us a comment or in a review, five star please, on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. We would very much appreciate that. Uh huh. And thank you to Alex. Yeah, Astronomic Audio for doing all of our uh, sound engineering. They edit our podcast. They make us sound better than we do at home. And they write all our copies and they make sure things go up on time and they make sure that I record on time, which is great because I just keep forgetting. No, well, you don't keep forgetting. It, it, anyhow, it's, it's, we have lives. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We are almost at the end of season two, but I've already started planning for season three and we can't wait. And I think you're going to like it. It's going to be a themed season. So themed season. Yes. Yes. So thank you so much for sticking with us. And until next time, measure a metric. <laughs>